Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, what does Antonio Conte need to do to turn Tottenham into challengers? Will that ever happen? We'll also talk about Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea as they go to Manchester City in a top-of-the-table clash. We'll hear what Cristiano Ronaldo's been saying about Ralph Randnick and his time back at Manchester United. We'll also discuss the Africa Cup of Nations and more. This is The Game. Hello again, Hugh Wisencroft here alongside Tom Clark, Jonathan Northcroft and Alison Rudd. Alison joining us to discuss what ended up being a pretty one-sided affair over the two legs in the first EFL Cup semi-final. Chelsea beating Spurs 3-0 on aggregate. By the way, 350 days since Thomas Tuchel's first game in charge at Chelsea. He's become their first manager ever to take them into a Champions League FA Cup and EFL Cup final. Alison, just uh, listen, firstly, I'm tired of cup teams. Antonio Conte playing a cup team in these two ties when Tottenham haven't won a trophy for so long is disgraceful, frankly. Alison, tell us about the, the golfing class between Spurs and Chelsea over these two games. Well, the, um, the most telling moment came when Thomas Tuchel berated the team for playing at 90%. <laughs> and it was a bit of a stroll for Chelsea. And I think that was telling because Spurs were up for it. I get your point about why didn't he play a full-strength team, although other than Hugo Lloris, that was the sort of big leave-out for the, for the North London derby. I don't think the team was ridiculously weak. They were up for it. Spurs were up for it. They weren't dreadful. I like their attitude. Um, they did not let the various VAR decisions make them uh, ill-tempered or, or you know, defeatist. But Chelsea just didn't have to do very much. I mean, the ninety percent stat I think was probably quite generous. I would have said seventy-seven point three percent. Really, it needed something miraculous from from Spurs and Chelsea. Obviously, decided to stop a miracle. All you have to do is sort of stroll around a bit and make sure you've got Antonio Rudiger in your team. Antonio Rudiger could soon be out of their team. Uh, remember, of course, uh, linked with several clubs, given his contracts up at the end of the season. But uh, if he does want to stay, things are going pretty swimmingly under Tuchel. In in the wider context of things, I still think the Premier League title race, we'll discuss it a little bit later on, you know, could end up being a disappointment for Chelsea. Um, but lots of the talk, Alison, has turned towards the size of the job that Antonio Conte now has at Spurs. And I find this very strange, to be perfectly honest, because in my mind, he's been brought to Spurs to turn them into a top four team. The idea that he's meant to be turning them into a Premier League winning side is fantasy. 
and they aren't far away from being a Champions League qualified team. And he doesn't need that much to get them into fourth place right now. And people keep talking about them tearing the squad apart, selling all the players that they've got because none of them are good enough. And these two games have shown us that. He's not going to, in my opinion, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, he's not going to challenge Manchester City, Chelsea or Liverpool during his time in charge at Spurs. And that's not a defeatist attitude. I mean, the facts and figures in particular stack up in that way for me. What do you think? I think Daniel Levy is hoping that Conte can weave some sort of spell, uh, some sort of Conte spell on what they've got. I, I, I think for quite some time, go back to the early days of Pochettino at Spurs, there's there's been something there that you feel with the right tweak, the right approach, the right attitude towards the academy, they they could make themselves um, top four certainties, regulars, if you like. And it, it, it has, you know, it has happened for them. They've come really close to winning the title. And... They were in a cup final last season. It's It feels tantalisingly close. And if it is tantalisingly close, then you're not, as a club, going to want to overhaul, get rid of lots of players, spend big on new players. You're going to feel that it, it takes one more piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And in this case, they think it might be Antonio Conte because he's very good at making good players excellent and just... It might only be for a short time. They might, like, as they did at Chelsea under him, they the, the players got a bit tired of his um, strict approach, this constant reference to suffering. It's great when you can see it's reaping rewards and then you win something and then you think, okay, we'd like to move on from this now and, and, and have some ketchup on our chips and that's going to happen. But I, I don't, I think even Conte, because I think the narrative is like this, Hugh, because Conte himself is indicating that when he compares what he's got with what the other rivals have got, it's not it's not enough for him. And it, we've seen a mixture of performances. We've seen performances. I mean, this is this is this is what keeps this same narrative going, if you like, because we've seen performances that speak of an ability to push push on, and then we've seen performances where B list players just you know just are not nowhere near good enough. And, and they're not they're not they haven't got what it takes to even take on board the Conte suffering philosophy so it's it's this sort of hodgepodge of what could be what do you need and then inevitably you're going to get a conclusion that says money that's what you need you need money you need to spend big offload spend big whether that I mean they've missed the boat because I don't think Harry Kane will bring in money even if they decided to sell him now not as much as they would have got in the summer so or in a sort of twilight zone of what could be possible and you know the, the the logical thing to say is well spurs with conte and a big wad of dosh he could do something but as you say hugh that's not what the club do and i don't think they thought that's what they were getting with conte either uh, johnny what do you think um uh, what's the prediction for what antonio conte can do and how in particular yeah look, i, I- I think as Alison's kind of outlined, in some ways the the ball is in in Tottenham's court, and I'm not sure what they can do with that ball. If that's not extending the metaphor in, in a weird way, <laughs> um, you get Antonio Conte, and you are hiring a guy that's intense, addicted to winning, proven track record of winning, will stop at nothing to try and win. 
Um, but you're hiring him as the sixth or seventh best team in the league, and that's a huge um, that's a huge gap, really. And I, I've have had misgivings, I have to say, from the start about whether that marriage would work because it hasn't taken Conte long to assess the situation. And I think make a quite an accurate call, which is that reasonable as Spurs are, um, there's a there is a gulf, there's an enormous gap between them and, and the top three. Yes, they have been tantalizingly close to winning in the past, but in 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 the in the last couple of years, I think the top three have just moved to a different place. Uh, so that closeness for me is is, is no longer there. Uh, and in fact, you could say that that Spurs are, have have declined while the, the that top three has gone on. So, my question would be: Are they really willing, or do they have the resources um, to really try and and bridge that gap? And I, I have to be honest: part of me wondered whether the sign of Conte was, you know, we can't afford to spend two hundred million pounds on players. We can afford to get this absolutely top manager, and that's the next best thing. But he needs players to work with. And I think he's right to say that that squad is is nowhere near um, where Liverpool's or Man City's is or, or, or Chelsea's is. There's gonna, there may well be a standoff now, and I don't see Conte hanging around long term if he thinks he's going to be, you know, basically in a in a fight that he he can't win. Not because he's a prima donna, but because of his characteristics. He he detests losing he su- he suffers you could you could see last night his kind of visceral um despair at, 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 at not you know really coming anywhere near Chelsea over those two legs and he's not going to stomach too much of that so you know I think the ball is in Paratici and Daniel Levy's court are they going to fund this uh this overhaul to the squad that they need to um and amid all of that where does Harry Kane come in? Does he become a um, asset that they sell in order to reinvest, or is he a priority uh, to to sort of ensure they keep and build around? So there's a lot of questions for Tottenham. They have got a brilliant manager; they're not hopeless, but they've got a manager that's not going to settle for what maybe the hierarchy would be happy with, which is top four. He's going to want to go all the way, and if he can't, I just I do not see him hanging around for years in the way Poch did. Um, sort of manfully struggling to you know against the odds. I just don't think that's in Conte's makeup. Uh, they host Arsenal, North London derby, a very important match for the club as well this weekend at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Tom, where do you think they are going into that game? Are they favourites, or do you think? I feel almost like the mood at both clubs is pretty lower after recent weeks, um, whether that be injuries, COVID, you know, whatever it might be, results on top of it, of course. Um, we, we, of course, don't know how Arsenal are going to do yet against Liverpool in the EFL Cup semi-final, um, but it's a huge game for both in terms of that top four picture. You just don't feel either team's really confident. No, maybe not. As you say, we'll see how Arsenal get on against Liverpool. If they can put in a... I should have to use this term, sorry Arsenal fans, but spirited performance against uh, a Liverpool side and stay in the tie, then I think in terms of that mood that you're talking about, they'll be in a better place going into this game. Because I think the guys have talked about it there. We're starting to see now with Tottenham the reality of the situation Conte finds himself in. And I think when you look at that team, you know, I I appreciate Johnny's analogy about, you know, that okay, we're not going to spend the money, but let's spend the money on the manager. But actually... 
when you think about some of the squads they've had, Conte's probably got one of the weakest, particularly if you look at his defence, and I mentioned it on the previous show, the guy likes playing with wing-backs. They've not really got any of significant talent. Fine Reggie on when he plays. So I think from that point of view, Tottenham are at a slightly lower ebb, and particularly without having Son, who's probably been their star performer all season, I just think probably it's advantage Arsenal. As long as Arsenal don't get hammered by Liverpool, then they're in the better frame of mind, just because, yes, they've got beaten by Nottingham Forest in the Cup. Yes, they had a little bit of a dip, but overall their season has been good. You know, shepherded by manager of the year, Mikel Arteta, of course. <laughs> Alison, just finally, uh, Chelsea, only one win in their last five Premier League games, um, but they have won the last three matches, all of them, of course, in various cups. Um, do you think their blip is over for this season? I would, well, I would say yes. A lot, a lot was made elsewhere of Tuchel's body language in the second leg and which which really surprised me i mean it, it, it's 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 like you if you just watch if you're at a game and you just watch thomas tuchel that is a very entertaining pastime by the way because uh, you know he, he he takes it to a whole new level gyrating and gesticulating constantly i've never quite seen any manager like that and i doubt we ever will again but you can just fit his body language to whatever theory you have at the time and and so Chelsea have been dis- relatively disappointing of late outside of the cup competitions and so I've seen I've seen references to oh you can tell Tuchel's had enough he's just you know so disappointed with what they're doing and you can tell from his body language that he's not happy he's at his most angry when they're playing well he, it, there is something very peculiar about how he reacts to a game. It's as though he's showing off that he sees things that we don't. So I've noted that he is particularly uh, sort of almost grotesquely gurning and, and and going down to the floor and his arms are flailing and he's sort of just looking like he's in agony. Usually right in the middle of a very good piece of Chelsea approach play when you think, oh, they're clicking. Because he's obviously asked them to do a tiny little tweak and they've not done it or, you know, he, he wants perfection and so on. So I don't, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a really nice contrast with, with Conte who by comparison, like a statue really compared to Tuchel. He's, he's not, he's not, he's, <laughs> Conte hasn't got enough to gyrate about basically. So <laughs> I, I think, I feel that, I feel that Tuchel is totally engaged in the project. As you pointed out, the top few, he's, he's the most, successful Chelsea manager ever in terms of speed of getting them to finals and it was probably a blip caused by many things um, tiredness, injury, Covid um, not being entirely sure as a perfectionist what he could and couldn't do because it was out of his control, that's very difficult but they seem to be coming out of it and he seems to be integrating well uh, what you might term fringe play fringe players at Chelsea but who would be first team players anywhere else so I probably would say yes if, if the blip if it's not like suddenly completely over it's 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 you know it's on its way out definitely well we'll be looking ahead to Chelsea's game at Manchester City a top of the table clash in the Premier League this weekend we'll do that right at the end of today's episode of the game podcast but Alison Rudd thank you for joining us uh, I hope you managed to get back out on the tennis court you know this is the real thing the tennis world's been waiting for forget the Australian Open hopefully you're over your injuries and you're back out there smashing forehand winners 
I'm waiting for my visa, Hugh, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, Alison Rudd, thank you very much. Up next on the Game Podcast, we'll talk about Aston Villa, Manchester United, some choice words from Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll look at AFCON, the Africa Cup of Nations, as well as our favourite, well, S-Housery. Let's call it that. Stay with us on the Game. We are very, very lucky to have been treated to one instalment of Manchester United against Aston Villa this week. (laughs) And we're getting another this weekend as well. The first, the FA Cup third round clash on Monday evening ended with a 1-0 win to Manchester United at Old Trafford. However, Villa dominated for large parts, carving United apart like many of their recent performances. Villa just couldn't get a goal in the end. Now, this weekend's game could definitely include two new talents at Villa apart. Philippe Coutinho arriving from Barcelona on loan with an option to buy. Luca Dina leaves Everton. He's written on social media by the way, sometimes it only takes one person from outside to destroy a beautiful love affair. A little jibe at Rafa Benitez there, but we're, we're focusing in on Steven Gerrard and Ralph Rannick's teams today. Um, on the game, the game that has gone by the way, Tom, I think Villa can be seriously encouraged by their performance against Manchester United, although they've already won there once this season. Um, but generally speaking, under Steven Gerrard, it's been very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Good contest between two mid-table teams, Hugh, I'd say. <laughs> um, sorry, forgive me. Um, but I mean it. Uh, no, definitely. They, I mean, they were the better team, weren't they? And it was very, very Manchester United-esque to win 1-0 with a goal by Scott McTominay made by Fred. I mean, that's that's the position they're in at the minute. Um, yeah, I mean, we obviously defended and... Cr- did we criticise? I'm not quite sure. But we, we had sympathy for Dean Smith, didn't we, when, when he left Villa? Mm. Um, but it is clear now with these signings and with the kind of style and intense type of football that Gerard is seeming to want to impart on Villa that you know there was a bigger and as we said at the time ambitious plan there about this club to take it on to the next level and we were kind of looking at it in the guise of oh this is incredibly harsh Dean Smith would have kept them up and maybe it was about something far bigger than that that they thought there's a transfer window coming we can kick on to the next level um, so as much as the football on the pitch is impressive it's also these signings. You know, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a Villa fan um, last night, actually, and he said, look, I like Dean Smith as well, but he'd have never persuaded Philippe Coutinho and Luca Dina to come to the club. And that is an element as well. Gerard has a massive, massive lure, as well as being, you know, seemingly putting on some impressive tactics on the pitch. What do you think about Villa right now, Johnny? Because um, I think with these two signings, there are signs that they're, taking this assault on Europe, you know, this aim that they said they had very, very seriously. They are. Um, and they're beginning to mirror Stephen Gerrard's ambition. I was talking about Conte's ambition, you know, and, and the need for a club to, to, to be in sync with a manager's ambition. And I think Villa are um, showing why he, he came to the club. They're giving him the chance to, to kick the squad on. And what strikes me about the bringing in of Coutinho and Luca Dina is, apart from them both being very talented footballers um, there's an element of, of they've, they've been signed in positions where Villa already had decent players so he's trying to you know really create that extra competition and, and raise standards that way you know Buendia had just started to um, show his potential under Gerard, and Gerard brings in Coutinho uh, which is probably good for both players in the same way Matty Targets had a good season but, mm. but he brings in Luca Dina um, 
that's an interesting signing because if you look at Gerard's Rangers, they were very attacking in the fullback areas. Tavernier scored 19 goals for them last season. Um, so that's going to be part of the part of the imprint. And they have got the potential to join West Ham, I think, as a disruptor um, under Stevie over the next sort of 18 months, which, of course, is fantastic for, for the, the Premier League. We might not be talking about Villa v Manu as a, a mid-table clash in six months' time uh, because of Villa. Absolutely. I mean, just <laughs> very interesting talking about them being a disruptor. I think you could argue that they're already there, Johnny, because when you think mm-hmm. about, I think, Chelsea and City both went to Villa Park recently in recent months and I can remember watching the Tuchel and Guardiola post-match interviews and they talked yes there's the common managerial cliche that this is a tough place to go but you could sense that they really really meant it that that was a real battle Mm. um, in both those games just coming back to the signings though you talked there Johnny about them being in positions where they've got players already and I mean I particularly agree with you on Matt Target who I think has had an excellent season my my flip side to that, and this is me just being contrary and not necessarily standing by this point, is they're not necessarily bang on 10 out of 10 players. Like Coutinho's at a weird mm. place in his career. He's got things to prove. Dinia as well, you know, as much as he wants to make digs about Rafa Benitez, some people could argue this is a sideways move for a guy who was like, I'm throwing my toys out the pram, I want a big move. He's like, all right, mate, you've gone to Aston Villa would be maybe what some Everton fans are thinking. <laughs> so there is that thing of where, yes, they're sign- making statement signings, but they're not like 9 out of 10, these guys are going to definitely guarantee to elevate Aston Villa. I don't know. Am I wrong? Do we think these guys are definitely, no. definitely, definitely going to take, or are they kind of that 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 at the minute? I'm I'm fully prepared that in two months we're going to be clipping this up after Coutinho's already scored 10 <laughs> and Dini's got about 8 assists, but... I don't know. I, to me, they're interesting signings rather than being like wow signings. I don't think you're wrong, Tom. I, I think the, the signings that, that have got inherent flaws, but inherent um, enormous uh, pluses as well. If I think the signings that, but basically, come down to can the manager get something out of them? Can the manager add that value that you can see could be added to their games to make them into those ten out of ten players? Um, so it, it, it's going to come down to, to Gerard, but and, and you know, goodness me, only it's a small sample size. Really, looking at his Rangers reign, but he did he did improve and get a lot more out of the raw materials he had there. I think because he's got very good man management skills and he's got an excellent coach and Michael Beale with him. So if he can if he can add, you know, he's 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 got those players, and I presumably told the board I can make. Philip Coutinho, the player he used to be, and I can correct Luca Dina's defensive shortcomings, and we all get to enjoy that incredible assist record he's got, uh, energy up the flank. Uh, back me, and I'll do it for you. And um, you know, we, we'll see. But I think I think he's shown Gerard already that he can be the manager to reawaken careers. I actually think they're very good signings. Mm. Very, very good signings. I think if Tottenham had made these signings, we were talking about Antonio Conte a few moments ago, we'd all be saying, brilliant, what quality they've added to the squad. Mm. Luca Dina is 
proven proven in this league yep. and, and he's a quality player with the ball at his feet and his delivery etc Philippe Coutinho if you get a song out of him is an exceptional player like he's he, he can be okay we, we haven't seen it for a yeah. while and I think that's the risk you're, you're discussing but um, does he improve Villa well yeah he let, let's be honest he does if he's out there on the pitch he is better as a 7 out of 10 than the other players they have in this position with all due respect to Emi Buendia so for mm. me it's a great signing for Aston Villa um and I, I look at this now, I look at the broader picture across the Premier League. I think it's going to take a huge amount of money to be a top 10 side in the Premier League now. Like yeah. it, it's getting ridiculous. Everyone wants to be in Europe. You, you know, you look at the money that Everton has spent to be a bottom half team and you're thinking it can go desperately wrong, but that's the money that you still have to throw at it and it might not even mean you're a top half side. Um, because you're looking at Aston Villa, they're going to invest. West Ham United, I'm sure, are going to Im- invest. If they're not going to spend big money, they they still invest sh- as shrewdly as they can. You've got Arsenal, they've already spent big money. Tottenham about to. Manchester United do, of course. You know, Wolves maybe not, but again, it's all about shrewd and intelligent recruitment for clubs like that. But you look at the competition now and you think, these clubs, whoever finishes just outside the top seven or eight used to be criticised for missing out on Europe or the yeah. season fell apart and we didn't mm. quite get over the line. And you look at it now and you're like, no, nah, this is the Super League. I mean, this is the, 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 the quality of the players that are going to keep coming into the league now. And you think that the Premier League sides are about to capitalise mm. on their financial position and their broadcasting deals by having a, an all-out assault on most of the big clubs in Europe. I mean, all these players coming to the end of their contracts they're pretty much all coming to England if they're not going to Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. You know, mm. if they, okay, those clubs get the pick of free transfers, obviously, because they're huge and brilliant clubs. Yeah. But other than that, they're coming to the Premier League and they, 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 you know, Coutinho at Aston Villa. Hello, Aston Villa have got Philippe Coutinho and we're saying, is he good enough? Come on. I mean, you, yeah, I take your point and I'm sure a lot of Aston Villa fans will have been doing exactly what you've just done to me, Hugh, when I was mentioning that. But I guess that, the Coutinho signing to me just slightly embodies something you were hinting at there, which is the the big argument we always come back to, which is what are you going to be as a club? And Villa fans and the board, I just think they're going to have to be slightly cautious about that because, as you say, they could spend this money and they could finish 8th, ninth, um, and they have to be prepared that that's not a bad season because I think we've seen it, particularly Everton's a great example of that kind of spoon and bust type approach and you know, Villa, Villa, very rich club. So, by all accounts, well, the money we, will keep coming. This is just the Jack Grealish money that they're they're spending. If you look at the numbers, actually, that signing of of Luca Dina was the last of the money, and I think Villa are only two million in the red now for this season, transfer wise, having brought in more than a hundred million worth of players. So they're ambitious because on top of this money, I think that there's there's, there's still more to to come spending wise from them um, in the summer. Yeah, I think that's definitely worth keeping in mind. I just, I guess it's that point, isn't it? You're talking about Grealish. They've lost Grealish, bringing in, you know, we brought in Bendia, starting to find a bit of form, but that was never going to be an instant replacement, is it? You can maybe say, without getting too argumentative about it, Coutinho is a good like-for-like replacement for Grealish in terms of creativity alone. Fine, different type Mm. of players at different points in their career. So I just mean from that ambition side of things, essentially they're, a slightly stronger version of the team that they were last season with a new manager and a new style of play and with that maybe comes aspirations and expectations they need to 
maybe balance them out a little bit and give Gerard time because we don't want to be in a position in a year's time where maybe they've finished 9th, 10th, 11th and we're going, okay, is this guy good enough? Do Villa need a new manager? That's That would be my only thought because Hugh makes an excellent point about we're going to be endlessly fascinated by Wolves, West Ham, Brighton, Villa, um, Leicester, Man United teams battling around for the mid-table. Well, let's quickly focus in on Manchester United. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo's been speaking. Um, he says Manchester United should win the league or be second or third. I don't see any other position for Manchester United. In my heart, I don't accept that our mentality be less than being in the top three in the Premier League, in my opinion. He also said that Ralph Rannick needs time. He said, I think to build up good things, sometimes you have to destroy a few things. So why not? New year, new life. I hope Manchester United can be at the level the fans want. They deserve that. Um, Tom, what do you make of his comments? Um, the Rannick stuff, spot on. I mean, I think that the particularly the destroy things to make new things that very much echoes I think it was the three of us just around the new year mark were talking about giving Ranić time and this being an appointment where he's really going to pull everything apart and start again and build it up not just on the pitch in terms of recruitment youth academy etc etc so I think to hear a senior player talk like that is only a good thing for Ralph Ranić I think the rest of it is just PR guff isn't it let's be honest it's it's absolute nonsense I mean about being in the top three yeah I mean come on come on it's just not going to happen I know I was making jokes about them being a mid-table side but with pulling things apart you can't have both those things they don't work in tandem you can't destroy things to make good things and whilst destroying them finish in the top three that's just not how it works they're not going to finish in the top three this year they might just by the fact that they've got so many quality players scrape through and nick the fourth place because there's so much competition around them maybe I don't see it personally but yeah I, th- I think it's a good th- good thing for Ranić, isn't it at a moment when they've lost to Wolves looked unconvincing against Villa in this very knee-jerk way in which we consume football people starting to already question his methods to have a senior player back him and say that he needs time I also thought it was interesting to read that he'd said he's already done quite a lot of changes he's already made quite a lot of changes um on the pitch I think that's a good thing for a senior player to be highlighting but the rest of it's just you know PR the, the, the same nonsense that we've heard from Man United players over and over the last few years we'd need to give the fans what they want blah 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 well yeah he's got to say that I know it? he's got to say that I know he's got to say that I'm just not going to give him any kind of kudos for it I think the other the other part of the the, the quotes about Ranić are the more telling ones and I think yeah but I think as a 36 year old I'd be cautious as to whether he's ever going to get that top three finish at Man United to be honest Johnny, what do you think about the, I guess, the strength of what Cristiano Ronaldo's had to say? I think it was a, it was a significant um, interview in, I suppose, in PR terms, because I, I know that, that United have hoped Ronaldo would would speak in this way for all pretty much the whole season. You know, he hasn't done much in the way of media, and he is a, he is a leader for them, of course, and with, his, with his appeal and his status and all that kind of stuff. So it's important backing for... Ranić, I think, is an important one for the club at a difficult time in PR terms, and I think it's absolutely right for him to talk about change, backing Ranić, and aspiring to something a little bit better than than trying to creep into the top four. The most interesting comments, I think, are about young players, um, where he talks about, you know, when I was eighteen, I listened to the senior pros and I took it on board, which, by the way, is true. He he he, he took a lot of criticism from. Um, 
the senior guys like Ryan Giggs at the time for things like diving and, and, and over elaborating and he did take it on board and became a better player for it so I think he can talk like that but it's interesting that he chose he chose to say that talking about himself at 18 and then saying you know younger players these days and he's talking generally not specifically but you know we can start to read into things younger players these days need to listen and uh, help themselves and, and, and learn as well and do their best for the team now I just wonder um, if that is what Cristiano Ronaldo has has found um, upon his return to United a, a different environment um, where instead of uh, having sort of strong characters who can take criticism and uh, can maybe put the team first there's a rather different set of players in that squad who when things start to go wrong um look for reasons beyond themselves i.e. the manager's not good enough or you know we don't like the criticism that's to me look like the story of what's happened since Ranić took over and since all these kind of protective arm has been removed from certain people and, and I wonder if that's what Ronaldo was talking about Intrigued to see how Manchester United play at Villa Park this weekend given uh, it will be take two and they should see I, I guess the error of their ways at home so Aston Villa will feel very confident probably favourites going into it I wonder what changes Rangnick makes what tweaks there will be to stop them being played through in the way they were at home we shall see um, and listen if you're enjoying the game podcast by the way make sure you uh, rate us make sure you leave us a review make sure you subscribe as well plenty more to come AFCON is next here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mali and Tunisia's Africa Cup of Nations game ended in chaos, didn't it? It was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the referee, firstly, 
tried to give full time when only 85 minutes had passed. He was then told, hold on a minute, it's not even 90. I think he then thought he was told it was 90 because he then ended the game for a second time, four minutes later, with only 89 minutes on the clock. The Tunisia coach, all the technical staff out on the field, um, confronting the referee, uh, Janice Ikazway, uh, after the final whistle had given them a 1-0 defeat in the end, their opening game in AFCON, of course. But then it was even worse. It's hysteria afterwards. 20 minutes later, after the post-match press conferences had begun, the tournament organisers said the game should be played to a conclusion. Tunisia's players were already in their ice baths. They didn't want to come back and play. They'd already warmed down. And so Mali were declared the winners. Now, the second half was ridiculous in any rate. I mean, there were two stoppages for the VAR referee checks that were appalling. Um, There was a drinks break and nine substitutions in the second half. It was all over the place, frankly. It's not a great image for African football, but I have to say, I think some of the reaction... Is, is, uh, uh, to AFCON as a whole almost is, is as disparaging as the players and coaches were saying in the build-up to this tournament. Johnny, what do you think of all of this? Look, it was an error and these errors have happened in many mm. tournaments many times over the years. Yes, I was there at the day that Graham Paul decided to uh, issue three yellow cards to the same player and not send them off at the World Cup in, in uh, 2006. So, of course, it happens <laughs> And Andre Marner gave an interesting performance last night. Mm. I mean, not, not on not on this scale, but let's face it. Um, I don't think anyone can sit from a Premier League lens and say that that look at all this terrible refereeing around the world um, when there's plenty to sort out at home. It does sound like an absolutely bizarre one, um, and I think the ref's got a bit of a checkered history, uh, who serving a suspension, um, just which was lifted only recently. Um, I've just been a, I've been a bit disappointed by the lack of goals in the in the tournament. Um, this is what I want to talk uh, about, Jonathan. This is one thing I do want to talk about. Okay, yeah. Uh, the quality of football at Afcon so far has been criticised. Several of the big nations really flattered to deceive. You know, people were expecting a lot of them. The likes of Algeria, Ghana, Egypt, not really hitting the heights after their opening matches. Hello, they were all playing a week ago in domestic football. Yeah. There was no two-week, three-week build-up. There was no two or three warm-up games. I looked this up beforehand. Loads of these countries didn't even have one warm-up match. This was their first game together for many months. The last time some of them played was the international break back in November. Okay, So they haven't really gelled and they haven't had time on the training pitch to gel. So the idea you know, that they're just going to rock up and play brilliantly and provide us with loads of entertainment is just silly. There will be great moments in the Africa Cup of Nations the more these teams play together and spend time together as the tournament progresses. But this is what you get when you say, oh, we really need them to stay for the big game between Chelsea and Liverpool on the 3rd of January. That's so important. And then on the 10th of January, having travelled to Africa and been through all the protocols and changed system and managers and, and teammates, of course they're not going to produce their best. It's a fair point. I hadn't really thought, I have to be confessed, too much about the fact there's not even been one warm-up game. Obviously, you know, I know these players were playing in domestic leagues a week ago, but yeah, I mean, to, to not warm up, of course. Um, it's disappointing for the tournament to, to not being given enough space, I suppose, for for that little bit of preparation to happen. Even the Euros this year, um, there was a limited prep, but there was still, I think, a two-week period of, of, of warming up. 
and uh, gelling and, and those warm-up games weren't great actually thinking well back the, on, the on group England stage games weren't great weren't great either England scored twice in <laughs> three in their three group matches yeah you know it happens yeah yeah no exactly I mean Scotland took a little bit of time to get going as well. <laughs> 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 it's true I mean and the Euros caught fire towards the end of the group stage and in the in the in the later rounds um, it's this is this the, the yeah well there's a bigger problem here isn't it the way this tournament's been moved around in the calendar in in recent years and um you know the 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 the, the overall kind of grudging acceptance not but semi acceptance from the european clubs to even release players um so that's that, that's that's all, that's all sort of that's all sort of a factor um i hope it just does um start to open out in terms of goals and 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 um and, and sort of entertainment. One of the things for me when you look at this tournament is we see it so much through the prism of something that's an interruption really to our Premier League season and our viewing and so many fans going, oh, blimey heck, we're going to be out without mm. Mo Salah and Maxwell Cornet and all these kind of things. And that immediately gives it a slight negative slant because as as viewers of a tournament where we lots of us don't have an interest and we're able to watch it as neutrals, it doesn't give it that enjoyment slant of say watching the Champions League final when there are no English teams in it and you can just sit back and go wow this is great fun and the other thing is that we're talking about it that makes us talk about the big name players and things but there are lots of other teams and players in there for, for whom this is a massive massive deal and this is an opportunity to put themselves on the international stage players that have come from Africa and that are playing in smaller leagues either in Africa or around Europe and give themselves a chance to go on to a bigger and better career we had a piece from a journalist who'd um, been in Sierra Leone and talked about the difficulties that players find to get an opportunity to make that big break um, and it's centred around a guy called Muz Bundu who's in the Sierra Leone team and I watched him play the other day he's got an absolutely wicked right foot on him in terms of crossing the ball And but for him you know he's, he's grafted and scraped his way he was actually in Craig Bellamy's academy um, that was set up in Sierra Leone quite a few years ago um, and was signed by Vincent Company at Anderlecht and is currently on loan in Denmark. But, you know, and then you go onto his social media and it's a massive deal. He is literally sharing everything from the tournament. It's so pure. And, you know, it's like nothing, none of the sanitised crap you get from England and everyone else <laughs> when they're at tournaments. This is this guy's like sharing everything from his mates watching it on telly back home and like screenshotting it and going, go on, Muzz. And like for him and for loads of other players, this tournament should be a chance to, you know, represent your country, of which he and everyone else is incredibly proud of, but also to be on the international stage to give yourself a chance. And I think when we have it, the tournament shrouded in debate around, oh, we're going to lose Mo Salah, and also these issues of refereeing incompetency, and it kind of taking that slight tone of, oh, what's the AFCON like, which is a little bit unsavoury for me. It just makes it such a shame for these other players for whom there are loads and loads of them desperate to take their chance. A lot of these referees, by the way, I mean, this referee had two World Cup games last time around. Yeah, of course, that's the thing. An issue at the time. And there are FIFA referees across the tournament. So I don't think there's going to be a real widespread issue with the refereeing. It was just a, a one person's calamitous performance I think and as I say I think the matches will improve mm. as the tournament goes on because there are some great sides that the interesting thing that I think 
uh, we've almost missed in the debate about AFCON that I just finally wanted to point out was, you know, one of the things about the Africa Cup of Nations is it's every two years. And I was thinking, yeah, that is maybe something that they could change. And then I suddenly thought, well, hold on a minute. How many African nations get into the World Cup? Mm. And you think it's, what, five? Mm. Five? And maybe in the, in the expanded World Cup that we're about to see, yeah. of course, it's going to be more. But, you know, half as many or f- fewer than half as many as Europe gets. And you start to think, well, why shouldn't they have a tournament every two years if basically the World Cup they're excluded from as a huge continent of Africa because they don't have as many as many places as they probably should, given the amount of nations that there are on their continent. So I think, look, AFCON will be good. I promise you, those mm-hmm. of you that are thinking I'm not going to watch any more games, make sure you stay tuned. And, and, and do you know what? Maybe there'll be some good refereeing performances as well for you, because clearly that's what you watch the games for as well. <laughs> uh, listen, talking about things improving, Chris Maguire, difficult situation for him at Sunderland. Um, but on his return to the Stadium of Light for Tom's beloved Lincoln, he managed to score himself a hat-trick on the up and up. They beat 10-man Sunderland 3-1. And he decided that he would go over to the Sunderland boss, Lee Johnson, and give him a few choice words about releasing him at the end of last season. And he said, it was a build-up of things. I thought I was hard done by in my time here. It didn't really end the way I wanted to. I got a yellow card early on. I looked over. Lee Johnson was trying to get me sent off. I like this as well. Um, I can't tell you what I said but I did think I did my talking on the pitch. It was just a bit tongue-in-cheek after the last six months here. It ended badly for me. I hope the Sunderland fans are okay with me. I was getting booed, but I've got nothing but admiration and respect for them. I loved my time here. Tom? What a day, Hugh. What a day. I don't even have to shoehorn Lincoln City into the game podcast. They're actually part of a genuine subject. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I mean, this subject of old players haunting their old uh, clubs is something that endlessly fascinates me partly because of being a Lincoln fan um, my dad has raised me as an utter pessimist and one of the elements as well as we're definitely going to concede from this corner every single time there's a corner and we're definitely going to concede in the last minute which often happens is that every time he see, looks at a team sheet oh they've got X, Y or Z who used to play for us they'll definitely score and just sitting and it's almost worse when they do just because he's going to go told you and it, I don't know whether it's just at a lower league level, Johnny. I don't know whether you have it with Aberdeen as well, but there seems to be this thing where fans are convinced to the point where a friend of mine, Kenny, who's a Sunderland season ticket holder, messaged me before the game saying, really worried about Chris Maguire. And to give a bit mm-hmm. of context, every Sunderland fan I know, he had this kind of quite a cult cult status with the club. He was known for his shockhousery, should we call it, um, and <laughs> his ability to be brilliant and infuriating in equal measure. And so when we signed him, I had a lot of, I've got a couple of friends who are Sunderland fans. They said, he'll wind up opposition, you'll fall in love with him, he'll drive you mad, and he'll play a blinder every now and again. And so I replied to Kenny that he'd been basically rubbish all season and he had nothing to worry about. Promptly scores a hat trick, <laughs> of course, of course. So there was his one blinder of the season. But I think. Johnny, you can talk a bit more about this because you mentioned it in your um, Times newsletter that goes out on Wednesdays, that it was so... I think we enjoy these moments even more so now because of the, you know, all the nonsense and the sanitised and boring (laughs) celebrations that you see in football. So I think, you know, to to see a bit of personality is a massive thing, isn't it? Chris McGuire used to play for Aberdeen and, and I remember him as a kid. He was exactly the player you described, Tom, and... But did have that spark of personality and and could occasionally just lift the whole 
stadium and have that great performance. So I loved seeing the fact that he hasn't lost one bit of that. Um, we've been talking a lot this year about players, the the pathetically sanitised PR world that, that they try and enter when it comes to social media and the we go again tweets and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we want players to be authentic and we just, we, we want them to reflect how we feel, which is, you know, when you do something good against a rival that annoys you or, or maybe somebody that put you down once in life, <laughs> I think, you know, the Scottish sort of phrase is get it, get it right up you. That's, that's how we feel <laughs> yeah. inside. That's how Chris Maguire, who's from Bells Hill, felt inside. I loved seeing it. I hate those players who, and it always seems to be like sort of slightly minor players scoring goals against teams that they once spent three games on loan. You forgot, you forgot they even played for them, and then doing this kind of faux humble, but actually attention seeking celebration where they show <laughs> what a big guy they are by not celebrating. And uh, I'd, I'd love the fact. Let, let's forget all of that. He uh, and and um, goes, you know, going straight to the guy that, that that kicked you out of the club you were enjoying being at to laugh in his face yeah let's have more of that that's, that's how we know that's how they're feeling inside so you know show it absolutely and just while we're on the subject of showing emotion and brilliant reactions to performances and wins Lincoln haven't been great this season and to the point where even though we've got an incredibly talented coach in Michael Appleton some of the fans have even been questioning his position in recent weeks we've had two wins this big win against Sunderland and so while we're on the subject of praising great reactions um Michael Apton's wife, Jess, who is often on Twitter and is good value before games, kind of cheering on the lads. At full time, she just tweeted, Appleton out. And I thought that was <laughs> so, so good. Such good value. So while we're on the subject of praising people for original and honest responses to football performances, I thought I'd give her a shout out. Nothing's going to surpass Emmanuel Adebayor, is it, against Arsenal? I, I mean... Yeah, the full-length pitch run is pretty good, and it was the slide on the knees as well. In uh, front of the Arsenal fans. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was, yeah. No, I don't think anyone's going to risk a riot like that ever again. I did. I do like the ones where you run up to the manager. You know, Lee Johnson got a red card at the yeah. end of that game, got involved with a scuffle, maybe just wanted to, you know, bite back a little bit. But obviously that can escalate. And, I, you know, I want, I want it to be clever, well done, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. You know, like, for example... You know, the Sam Etu gets brought out a few times from the players that have been yeah. le left a club because they're too old and they've yeah. gone back and scored, you know. That was I, a like, I like that. I like that. Yeah, well, you'll find a lot of personality in the lower leagues and he's a player I've mentioned many, many times, but Kevin Ellison was always, yeah. always <laughs> great, great value against former clubs. He played for Lincoln for a period, um, a, kind of a left wing back in an era under Keith Alexander and just afterwards where we were quite successful always failing in the playoffs but then became a kind of journeyman striker and every game whether we were away or he was playing at Sinsel Bank the fans gave him absolute dogs abuse but in a very jokey warm manner and he always always gave it back but in a very very good humoured way um, every single time and always great value I think you get maybe get more of that in the football league than you do in the Premier League but yeah the Adebayo one in terms of the top <laughs> top of the league you can't can't go much better than that can you no absolutely not uh, listen before we go one massive game to look forward to there are a few big games to be honest in the Premier League this weekend but there is a, a meeting of the top two that I mentioned a little bit earlier on um, Chelsea go to Manchester City for the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday even if Liverpool win at home to Brentford victory for City would see them extend their lead at the top to 11 points so 
if City win this weekend, is the Premier League's greatest ever race for the title between three incredible teams over before the end of January. Conceivably, yes. <laughs> Johnny, what do you think? Yes, probably. Um, uh, yeah, because I was thinking, City have got to drop, what, they've got to mess up in four games now, four out of the last six, 16 or 17, which which being Man City's hard to conceive straight away. And, and if this isn't one of them, then you start to wonder which games they might be. I think a draw would still keep things alive and let, let Liverpool close the gap. But but yeah, I think so. Ch- Ch- Chelsea are um, in probably a, a, a slightly better place than they were when Man City came to uh, Stamford Bridge, which is a brilliant game I was at. I think they might do something on Saturday. I'm going to the game. Um, and games between the top teams in the Premier League have been fantastic. Those top three have produced incredible games this year. All, all of them, uh, and and it's just it's, everyone's been a treat. So I'm really looking forward to Saturday. I, I think Johnny could be right. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I keep predicting City. They'll have some kind of blip, and I'm sticking to it. Um, like with all my other predictions, doubling down is the way these days. I think Chelsea could do something um, and blow this title race wide <laughs> open. <laughs> um, but but you know, even a draw, I think it's still alive because I I don't know. Just I just see a little stumble from City coming at some point um, because I don't think they're quite as faultless and as fluid as they have been um, in previous seasons. And I think the run they're on at the minute isn't as bulletproof as the run that they went on last season shall we say but very interested to see it's not the game of the weekend though Hugh is it let's be honest Newcastle Watford come on that is the one everyone's going to be mm. tuning in for yeah Chris Wood getting on the end of every <laughs> Kieran Trippier out of his feet into the box Chris Wood hat trick it's game coming isn't it surely I honestly think Watford is so bad that if Newcastle win this game and go level on points with Watford that they will stay up on goal difference because Watford will lose that many matches every every single game before Blimey the end of the season. Put your money on now, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. We're only in January and Hugh Wilson-Croft is ready to call the relegation race and the title race Newcastle this weekend. Is, they're staying up, aren't they? I mean... <laughs> I don't know why they've bought Chris Wood. I have to say, I've got absolutely no idea. Because it weakens a rival. We've talked about this before. We both predicted it, I think. But it's not for we, that reason. We, Surely we, we told them to go and get Sean Dyche and James Tarkovsky. They just misheard and they went and get Chris Wood <laughs> instead. I, 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 yeah, I find... Look, listen. You're approaching, during this January transfer window, so many players of a certain level. We saw the Trippier signing... And we thought that's the sort of name, that's the sort of quality player, an international who's played at Champions League football, who you think, right, upwardly mobile Newcastle are looking for players of a certain quality. And as a player looking on at that, I want to be involved in that squad if I believe myself to be a player of a certain quality. And then they signed Chris Wood. No disrespect to Chris Wood, a very solid Premier League forward uh, and does his job extremely well. Uh, we know what his job is, of course. It's not to be a massive goal scorer. Let's be honest, he's, he's not Thierry Henry, but he does have his use, of course, in the Premier League. And he's, he's had a very good career. But if I'm a player looking on at that, I'm like, is that a championship signing? Is that a, we, 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 we might get relegated and we need to bring some players in who are going to get us straight back up. And I'd be wary then of signing for Newcastle. Yeah, maybe. But I think it's also, let's be honest, if Wilson's fit, he starts and he's this is a good backup isn't it and so and maybe as they progress and maybe sign more players and if they stay up as you say 
there's a good plan B there for from when Eddie Howe's playing his beautiful passing of football out from the back with all the lads and the pace down the down the wing and some guy up front that you've never heard of signed for 50 million and then Chris Wood's a good plan B when it's not working but I mean Tony Cascarino's written this morning on the Times website uh, that exact point Hugh that maybe there's a little bit of clever thinking here that if they do go down Chris Wood will be an excellent excellent signing in the championship I know that's not where the aspirations are yeah. but it's no bad thing to be thinking that and they could sell him for 10 million couldn't they I would have thought so yeah coming to Middlesbrough any time in the next 18 months I'd say. <laughs> um, but yeah I mean look if you're saying Newcastle are already up and you're saying the title race is maybe over then maybe it's a good thing we've got the likes of Aston Villa and the most eagerly anticipated battle to finish 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th in the Premier League for the rest of the season we've got a very good weekend ahead of us we you have. Know, there's Brighton versus Crystal Palace yeah. as well I think that one will be good uh, West Ham playing Leeds again um, but listen let's let's finally end with the predictions for those four games we mentioned Aston Villa Manchester United Johnny how do you think it's going to go? Oh, I think Villa will win that one um, they deserve to win the last one Tom? 2-2 uh, somehow United will get an own goal and a penalty to get a draw North London derby Tom? Arsenal Arsenal away from home yeah Johnny Spurs I like it authority <laughs> can I just say you're doing your usual Hugh with Mr Host with me and Johnny you've done it again you've got to give your own prediction man come on Aston Villa are going to beat Manchester United yep. 2-1 um, the North London derby will finish 2-1 to Tottenham Hotspur right uh, the next mm. game we're going to choose is Newcastle against Watford I think Newcastle will win that comfortably 3-0 wow big claim I'm going to go 2-1 Newcastle Johnny oh, I'll, I'll go in the middle 2-0 I do think Newcastle will win and Manchester City against Chelsea I think Manchester City are going to win this because they played so badly against Arsenal and Lightning doesn't seem to strike twice straight away with Manchester City you either get them on a bad day or you've missed your opportunity because they, they bounce back pretty quickly so I think City will win this I think it's going to be a good game I'm going to say 3-2 <sighs> Oh, God, that would be a right thriller, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can tell you used to work in TV, Hugh, sometimes when you rev up these kind of matches. You should, you should be doing the adverts for these matches on on Sky. Um, I'm going to go Tuchel Masterclass 2-0 Chelsea. Johnny? Oh, I think it'll be a Connoisseurs 1-1, uh, an absolute belter with not that many goals because they're both such good teams. But 1-1, uh, and that is a slip-up for Man City these days. Johnny, I will see you at the Etihad. Okay, and I'm gonna drag I'm gonna drag you onto the radio with me as well, so um, that we can make our you debut will. on the airwaves. I'll see you there. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening, okay. Tom Clark, Jonathan Northcroft. You can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times for more of our award-winning journalism. If you sign up today, you get one month free. It's the Times.co.uk forward slash the game. Enjoy your weekends. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>